Hi there, I'm Ken Cruz, author of Dad Bod, and you're listening to Pop Goes Your World. If you haven't already, subscribe on iTunes. And while you're there, please leave us a rating and review. And now it's time for our feature presentation. I'm Chris McBrien, and the pop culture from Generation X is everything to me. And I'm Derek Myers, and I'm here to educate Chris on the great pop culture of today's generation. Episode 255, TV Pilot Episodes. Listening to the show, I am Chris McBrien along with Derek Myers, and this, of course, is Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. Now, this time out, Derek and I are going to take a look at some of our favorite TV pilot episodes of all time. This should be fun. But before we get to our topic, Derek, what is new in the world of pop culture for you, my friend? Hey, Chris. Uh, I had I had a chance to take in a couple of movies, uh, oh, two good. brand new ones, and one. Old-ish one, probably uh, considered new for you because it's after 1989. Yeah. But uh, I was going to say, uh, old by my standards or old by your standards because they are well, different standards. Yeah. So yeah. the old one I watched for the very first time. Mm-hmm. Never, ever, ever seen it before this week. Sleepless in Seattle with Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan. Well, it's like from the 90s, right? Yeah. Have he, you ever seen it? Uh, no, I don't think so. He did like a series of movies there that were kind of like this romantic comedy genre thing Nora Ephron sort of type thing didn't he yeah yeah so I'll, I'll be honest part of the reason you've got mail or something was another one like you that. did you did mail uh yeah. He, yeah so part of the reason I watched this movie because mm-hmm. this is not my normal fare I mean I'm a fan of Tom Hanks I'm a fan of uh Meg Ryan um the supporting cast is good Nora Ephron's got amazing pedigree like there's a lot a lot of reasons to want to watch this movie, even if it's not what you feel your normal kind of movie is going to be like. And I mean, 25 years later, I sort of know what it's about, even though I've never seen it. But as I mentioned before, I listen to other podcasts where they review movies and talk about movies. And this is one of the ones that they had talked about not too long ago. And so I had this episode from another show on my phone and I thought, well, I can either delete it or I can just give myself the two hours, watch the movie and then enjoy the 90 minute discourse that these people have about it. So I finally got around to doing that and the movie was okay. I mean, it it was what it was. Again, it's not really my favorite genre. It was interesting enough. Um, I had my own sort of criticisms and compliments about it. And then I, I, but now today I started listening to the podcast where they were dissecting the movie and I didn't necessarily agree with all of their takes, but it's clear that the people reviewing the movie loved it and i think that's something that you and i need to keep in mind sometimes when we review a movie like we may love the movie but it may really be a crappy movie and i think sometimes we maybe need to acknowledge that a little more (laughs) so anyway it is what it is so that was my old movie are you saying Uh, that i like crappy movies no i think we both like some crappy movies but i think sometimes there's crappy movies and we're like this movie was great when like who are we kidding it sucked but we just for whatever reason we find it great so um anyway uh newer thing i also watched was on netflix this week we watched uh the newest fair from the character by idris alba the series is called luther it's uh, a british series it's been running a couple of seasons it's mainly like 
I think the first season was like three 90 minute episodes. Like they're almost like mini movies. So Luther has come and gone. And so they did a new movie. It's called Luther, the fallen son. It just came out this year on Netflix. Um, I mean, my, both my wife and I are big friends of Idris Elba, my wife more so than me. Like she would dump me for for in a second if if Idris would give her the time of day. She, he's like her TV boyfriend. And um, but he, I think he's great. He's a good performer. And I really like the Luther character. He's essentially a dirty cop who does dirty things for all the right reasons. And then, of course, when he gets caught doing them, he has to, you know, pay the price. And so uh, this one was pretty good. Andy Serkis plays the villain. And I like I like that Andy Serkis is getting work as himself. I mean, he was he his most famous role is probably Gollum in Lord of the Rings, but you don't actually see him as Andy Serkis. He's he's got the the motion capture. He also obviously did a lot of motion capture work following that. He did like the Planet of the Apes uh remake, the reboots which are fantastic, but again, you don't see Andy Serkis, Andy Serkis. So, it was nice to see him get to play him like in his own skin playing a character. Although he had ridiculous hair in this, but that that's deliberate for part of the movie. Anyway, Luther, The Fallen Son, pretty decent on Netflix. And then we went to the theater this weekend and we saw the latest offering from the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. And let me tell you, it was amazing. It it lived up to all the hype. It's definitely... Uh, so if you've watched Guardians of the Galaxy 1 and Guardians of the Galaxy 2 and and you get the sort of the I have not, it's, by the way. Well, you watched part one. We did I watched part one. Podcast. You made me watch yeah. it for the podcast. It was all right, yeah. But the Guardians of the Galaxy has sort of a, a slightly different vibe than a lot of the other Marvel movies. James Gunn, who is the, the producer, uh, director rather, and I think he even has writing credits on these movies, he sort of has a vision of how he wants these movies to come together and they're sort of a little bit of a left turn from the, the rest of the Marvel Universe. But in... in a lot of very positive ways. This is if this is exactly more of what you got from Guardians One and Guardians Two. It's a uh, a progression of the story that has has happened in those two movies, plus through some of the Avengers movies, plus they did a Christmas special. Like it's all part of it. And knowing that James Gunn is leaving the Marvel universe to go and take over things in the DC cinematic universe, this was his fond farewell. He. Um, he had a lot of carte blanche on sort of what he wanted to do. He paid a lot of fan service by by tying up loose ends and bringing back minor characters for, that appeared in his other movies. It was really, really good. I really enjoyed it. It's long. It's like two hours and 15, two hours and 20 minutes. Totally worth it. I didn't look at my watch once. This movie was great. As you would expect from a Guardians movie, the soundtrack was amazing. And um, there was an interesting thing that happened here. In So after... After we watch the movie, as is almost always any time I watch a movie, I go to the IMDb and I read the trivia. So one of the things they pointed out in the trivia for this movie, Guardians of the Galaxy, and this is not a spoiler, is that all of the music that happens in the movie is actually a part of the story. And the characters in the movie are listening to the music as it happens. And apparently there's an actual name and and definition for that which i was not familiar with i had to look it up like it in the and honestly i didn't do my homework i don't have it in front of me right now but chris do you know what that's called when all the music in a movie is actually taking place and the characters in the movie can hear the songs as they're taking place a uh, musical <laughs> no it's it's uh, i'll look it up i'll come back to it later but um but yeah it was it, it didn't really occur to me in the moment but when i read it in the trivia i'm like yeah that's true and so again it's just one of those little tidbits that Someone who's making a movie does their homework, decides to do a certain thing, a certain take, you know, do a certain stylistic choice, and it really, it really worked. It, it this movie was great. I can't say enough good things about it. Hmm. 
Definitely one of the better offerings from the Marvel Universe in the last five years since Endgame. I'd argue it's probably the best one since Endgame. Well, with the exception of Spider-Man. Uh, it was quite good and it very nicely wrapped up the story but left enough loose threads open that if they want to continue on with some of these characters or do Guardians 4 after James Gunn has left, they totally can. So anyway, Guardians Volume 3, two big thumbs up from me. That's all the stuff you did this week? That's it. I'm watching a documentary but I haven't finished it yet. We'll talk about that next oh, week. Oh, good. We'll play the song next week. Okay, so yes. Derek, I've discovered the greatest thing of all time. And and no, I didn't just discover my by the way. I was just going to say, is, is we talking about <laughs> here because you're a little behind, man. You're 50. <laughs> that was that was when I was 12. Okay. okay. The greatest the greatest thing of all time is Pluto TV. Have you heard of this? I have heard of it. Uh, I haven't actually investigated it yet. I think I have it accessible on my Roku stick, though. Oh my God! It is basically heaven wrapped in sunshines and unicorns. <laughs> So it's a streaming app, and the way it's laid out is kind of like a TV guide, right? You got all these different, like, streaming channels, okay? And then you go down, and you pick a channel, and you click on it, and something different is playing on each one of these channels. Let me just run down a few of these channels for you, okay? So one of the channels is South Park, and you click on it, and just there's random episodes of South Park playing on it. Whatever they happen to be playing, you watch it, right? Another channel is The Carol Burnett Show, the one from the 70s. Nice. There's Classic TV Families Channel. You go on there, you can watch stuff like Webster or The Brady Bunch, one of my favorites. There's a Cheers channel, episodes of Cheers, one after the other. Family Ties Channel. Happy Days Channel, which not only shows Happy Days, but also the spinoffs. Mork and Mindy, and, and a personal favorite of mine, Laverne and Shirley is on nice. there all the time. Nice, And last, but certainly not least, Eric, The Love Boat. I was just going to say, it has to be Love Boat. <laughs> that has to be where you're going with this. So just so that I'm clear. Yes. The, these are not on demand in the sense that you go and you say start the episode. It's nope. like a regular TV. You turn it on and you jump in wherever yep. it is and you don't have any control about nope. forwards and backwards. You just watch it yep. as it's being streamed. Yep, so you go to the Love Boat channel, you click it on. Anytime you want, you just tune in and watch episodes of Love Boat or Happy Days or whatever. Are there yep. commercials? Uh, like in the middle of the show, are there commercials or are there commercials like between each episode? Yeah, there are. There, I, If I remember correctly, yes, there are commercials that are interspersed within it. But uh, like I said, anytime I can go on there, put it on and just like start watching an episode of the Love Boat or whatever. Or happy days. My family hasn't seen me for six days. <laughs> Last I heard, they put a missing persons report out on me. I mean, I can tell you this. I know how I'm going to be spending uh, my summer this year, man. I'm going to stick the kids on their tablets and watch Pluto TV. Is Pluto TV grounds for divorce, do you think? I don't know. I don't know. But, uh, I don't know. Anyway, we'll, find, we'll find out in September. <laughs> we, we will find out. Anyway. Or sooner. <laughs> exactly. All right. Uh, speaking of my family, oh, I also have one of these. Here's your dad joke of the week. Derek, did you hear that I started a band? It's called 999 Megabytes. Okay. We don't have a gig yet. Oh my God. Chris, if you're the lead singer, that doesn't surprise me at all. We don't have a gig yet. See, because a gig would be a thousand megabytes. I, mean, just, I guess that joke kind of megabytes. 
<laughs> this technology is no good. I'm an old man, and oh my god, and I wish it was a picture tube. Like, hey, put that one in your pipe and smoke it. Oh my god, the world could come to an end. I mean, I know Derek. He wasn't really mad at me for that. I'm not even gonna go down that road. It's like watching Coronation Street. I swear, I will not kill anybody. The brother from another planet. Boo, boo, turn the sound on. My goodness. All right, my friends. So this week we are talking about our favorite TV pilot episodes of all time. So here's the thing. For for me, I've always felt that most TV shows go through kind of an arc, for lack of a better term. Like most TV shows start out and it takes them a little while to, to kind of find their legs. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes. Like actors need time to settle into their characters and, and really develop them. And, and writers need time to find a groove, you know, with the character interactions and all that stuff. Even the look and style and feel of the show, it takes time to evolve and kind of settle into a, kind of like a solid, repeatable pattern, you know, especially when it comes to sitcoms. So, you know, the show starts out, it finds its legs, it peaks, and then after a while, it starts to decline. Not all TV shows fit this sort of growth pattern, but, but a lot do. So, as a result... This was kind of challenging because it can be kind of rare for a show to start strong right out of the gate. You know, like, like I'll give you some examples. If you go back and watch the pilot episode of Seinfeld, I know you're not a huge Seinfeld fan. I always was. But if you go back and watch the, the, the first episode, it's got a totally different look and feel to it than the rest of the series. The, yeah. that it ended up evol- evolving into. Like, the characters are different. Kramer doesn't even look and talk the same way. George is basically a Woody Allen ripoff. You know, the set's different and all that. And maybe the best example of this for me is Happy Days. You know, I yeah. love Happy Days. I mean, yep. you know that. Fonzie's I know exactly idol. where you're going with this. Yeah, this is a good point. Season one of Happy Days is nothing like the show it turned out to be. Season one is shot on film. It's got a different theme song. They use Rock Around the Clock by Bill yep. Haley and his comments. It's basically a TV ripoff of American Graffiti. And there was no laugh track, right? In season one? No, no. And then they kind of put it in about halfway through the season, just really kind of, you can almost hear a bit of a laugh track, like they're trying it. Um, But it it wasn't until like even season two, uh, it's season one is almost unwatchable of Happy Days. It's so crappy. And season two isn't much better. Season three is finally where it starts to evolve into that kind of two camera sitcom. And then, you know, and it definitely followed that arc that I mentioned. Like it took, you know, it took a little while to figure itself out, find its legs. And then it got into a groove. And then Fonzie jumps the shark and Ted McGinley comes into the cast and it all goes downhill and ends up in like Joni loves chachi hell. Right. <laughs> so the thing is, it's I guess it's not always a, a sure thing that TV pilots are good. Some of them are bad, you know, but some of them are good. Some of them are really, really good. But uh, what are your thoughts on pilots? That's kind of my take on things. What okay, do you, what do you think? so I, I want to comment on a few of the things you said and then Please. sort of take it in a little bit of a different direction. So sure. I think one of the things that you maybe failed to acknowledge but sort of talked about without knowing it is the examples that you provided were all shows that aired when there were only three or four major networks and there was no streaming or internet service available. Like you had very few options. And so the programming was, was done in a way that, you know, America had three networks to choose from. And so 
when a when a show got picked up and ran for a season, they ran 13 or 22 episodes. In many cases, it was 22 or 24 episodes. So your point about the actors finding the character and the writers getting into the groove, you're absolutely right. And a lot of that came from, at least as I understand, a lot of that came from the fact that they had to write 20 episodes. And over time, you start to realize like, where are the strengths of these characters? Where are the weaknesses? What what scenarios are working? Which ones are not? And And then you have time to sort of correct it while you're going through it. Whereas today, most of the new shows are only picked up for very limited runs, six episodes, eight episodes, 10 episodes. And if you haven't figured it out in a six episode arc, you're done. In fact, you may not even make it through the six episodes, depending on what it is. And so I think that over time, the the purpose of a pilot and the the evolution of a show they don't have that luxury of time. They can't say, well, you know, by the third season, we're going to get it. That just doesn't happen anymore. You have too many choices. There are too many options for people to to pick, whether it's through a, a major network, whether it's through a uh, cable network, uh, you know, a streaming service or straight up on just on the Internet through some sort of independent distribution. You have so much choice now that the pilot has to really hit now for it to work. So the other thing I wanted to bring up, and this this ties right back to our lists, is I tried to pick shows that were new-ish, like in the last 20 years. Uh, I think my oldest show is, is, I don't have anything before 2000, let's just put it that way. And as I was doing a little bit of homework trying to figure things out, uh, you know, as we often do uh, when we put these lists together, is after I had some initial thoughts jotted down, I went to the internet and I typed in like, what are some of the best pilots? What are the most impactful pilots? What are some of the most popular pilots? What are some of the best shows that had the best pilots? And you start to see a lot of things coming up. A lot of the things that the internet was flagging were shows that were basically debuted as a limited series. Here are four episodes, like it's essentially a four episode mini movie. And so they're like, well, the pilot was great. It's like, yeah, but it was really written as a four hour movie. So to say the first hour was great, is kind of a cheat because it doesn't really stand on its own. Uh, and I'll give you an example. Um, one of the ones that I was thinking seriously considered putting on my list, but did not was the um, more recent reboot of Battlestar Galactica, which I think is a great series. I didn't really care for the old one, but I think the new one is fantastic, but it was originally conceived of as a made for TV limited edition movie. I think it ran four 90 minute episodes, if I remember correctly. And so it's hard to say, well, the first 90 minutes of that was amazing. Well, yeah, it should be. It was conceived as a movie. It had to, it had to be part of this, this larger story arc, but it's kind of a cheat to say that that's a great pilot. It's more, it was a great limited series that led to the show being picked up for three or four or five more seasons. And, and so that was part of the challenge I had with a lot of my picks was I didn't want to pick something like another example is Chernobyl. It was, I think, a six issue, six issue, pardon me, I'm thinking comic books, six episode series. So again, people are like, oh, the pilot was amazing. Yeah, but it was conceived of as six episodes and that's it. They're not doing three seasons of Chernobyl. It was, we've got a clear story with a start, a middle and an end. It's going to run six hours. And so, yes, the pilot is the first hour, but I felt that was kind of a cheat. So I tried to look for things where it was more in that vein of a traditional show. And most of my pilots are from shows that did get picked up for multiple seasons. Some of them are actually still on the air. Some of them ran a tremendously long time. But um, 
they all were like a standalone. Here's a one episode. It's a complete story. Now that you know that, are you interested in seeing more episodes kind of thing, which is obviously how a pilot was originally conceived of, right? In the uh, Pulp Fiction, they have that scene with uh, with Uma Thurman where she's explaining to John Travolta what a pilot is. She's like, you know, you're aware Fox they've got this. Five. Yeah, they've got this. They've got this thing called TV. And on this TV, they show shows and one, you know, they do a pilot. And, and based on the strength of that one show, they decide if they want to make more. And I don't think that's necessarily how they do it anymore. I think a lot of times you mm. pitch a whole season. You don't just pick up one show. It's like, we're going to make eight episodes. Here's the pitch. So I tried to look for things for my list where it's it felt more like, here's the one episode, and based on the strength of this one episode, let's decide if we're going to make more. I can't say for certain that that's how this came together, but I really tried to be conscious of that when I was making my picks. And I'm sure that you've got a lot of older picks mm -hmm. on your list, and I'm sure a lot of yours a hundred percent. That's how it worked. Well, I, I'm so. glad that you're coming up with you know newer stuff. That's kind of what you bring to the show around here. Um, what I bring to the show is I like old stuff, you know, and funny enough, yep. three of my top five debuted in 1978. Wow. The, the other ones from 1977. So apparently the late seventies was a, a good time for TV pilots, apparently, or I'm just a cranky old man. I mean, you'd be the or there was a limited competition. Yeah. And that's what I think we're going to see with some, like, which is not to say, I don't know what your picks are. And I mean, sure the shows are great, but when you have only a handful of ideas competing and there's only a handful of network showing shows, I don't know if that makes it harder or not to get your shows run. And, and again, but it, but it sounds know. like you're, you're taking sort of the same sort of traditional view of pilots. Like you said, like ones that were made in order to determine whether or not there would actually be a show. You know, well, based I, on that strength. Yeah, I mean, for a couple of my new ones, I know, in fact, that was absolutely not the case, mm -hmm. but they felt that way. And right. that's why so that, that works. Yeah, because one of the things I, I always feel with the pilot is a lot of shows are just, you know, I don't want to say ripoffs, but are inspired or feel a lot like shows that came before it. So, I, for example, Grey's Anatomy is one of the longest running TV shows on the air right now. It's immensely popular. It's probably the number one TV show on, net, on regular network TV. And I think it's been running over 20 years now. Well, you know what? Before that, there was a show called ER and it ran for like 15 years and it was the number one show. I mean, it's a show about doctors and a hospital and their lives and their loves and all the rest of that. I mean, there's only so many things you can do with a hospital show. So it's like to say that the pilot of Grey's Anatomy was groundbreaking. It's like, what do you what do you how do you take a genre or a formula that's already been done before, in many cases, many times before? And give it an interesting spin in the very first episode so that people are going to say, you know what, this one looks different enough that I'm going to give it a chance. And that's the kind of thing that I was really looking for with my pilot episodes. Was, Isn't that what Grey's Anatomy did, though? Well, yes Because they started no. out with, with, with her, didn't she have a one night stand with this guy and then she... Goes into work the next day and finds out, oh, my God, that's my boss. Or that's, that's my boss. Like, and that yeah. was exactly. And that was yeah. it. And part of their pitch was it's going to focus on students. But again, you look back at ER from the 90s, it focused on the students as well. And sure enough, the students screwed around with the teachers on that show, too. So it's like it was Grey's Anatomy really breaking new ground. It was for certain reasons in certain ways. And believe me, I've seen every episode. I love the show. Uh, for better, for worse, think what you will. I'm not I'm not slagging on the show. It it. it you know, it opened a lot of doors for a lot of people in many of the right ways. But 
I wouldn't say that the pilot of Grey's Anatomy is one of the best pilots ever. Spoiler, it's not on my list. Right. But for some people, it might be. So anyway. Okay, so Derek, so you're going to start us off with yeah with your number okay. five TV pilot of all time. We're going to go back and forth, work on our way to number one, like we always do. So number yeah. five TV pilot of all time, go. Okay, my number five pilot is The Newsroom. So this is um, created by Aaron Sorkin, who people would remember from things like The West Wing. He also wrote A Few Good Men, the movie. Um, So Sorkin is known for dialogue heavy shows where people have a lot to say and uh, often say things that are controversial. They have hot takes. Um, You know, it's Sorkin's mouthpiece. He puts his words into the mouths of these performers. And often you get really great performers that that love to have this meaty dialogue where they get to say things that other characters on TV don't get to say. And originally I was going to put the West Wing on this list, but I opted to go with the newsroom. Now, I don't think the newsroom is as good a show as the West Wing. Uh, It did run for three seasons. And uh, for those who maybe are not as familiar with it, um, it ran on HBO originally. It stars Jeff Daniels as like a news anchor. And uh, it's also got a bunch of other people you'd recognize. It's got Dev Patel from um, Slumdog Millionaire. It's got Olivia Mund. It's got uh, Sam Waterston, who was on uh, Law and Order for years and years and years. Again, it's got a pretty pretty deep edge on this He was in the Killing Fields too. He was in the yeah. Killing Fields too. Yeah, it's it, there's a lot of people in this show. When you watch, you go, oh, I totally know who that is. You may not know their names, but uh, you definitely know who they are. So the reason I put the newsroom on my list is even though people may not have watched the show. I guarantee a lot of people have seen the scene from the pilot where the first five minutes of the show, Jeff Daniels, as a uh, an anchor on the nightly news on one of the major networks, he's invited to a panel to speak at a college or a university, along with a few other people. And the kids get to ask them questions. And so one of the students asks his character, why is America the greatest country in the world? And at this point, you can tell his character is sort of going through some stuff and he basically snaps and he gives an honest answer and he he goes on this tirade and he says, I do not believe America is the greatest country in the world. And he goes on and on and on for like four or five minutes about all the things wrong with America at this time, all the things that people might be thinking but would never say, especially someone who is a network news anchor. And that's the hook that got me onto this. It's like, well, why would I watch another show about television journalism uh you know we've seen this before we've seen sitcoms we've seen dramas like how is this one going to be different than the next one well here it is here's this guy who sort of just had it up to here he's fed up and he's gonna say it like it is he's gonna level with america and i saw this scene on youtube many times before i ever watched the first episode of the show and it's an amazing clip on its own but when you watch it in the context of this pilot you absolutely understand immediately why this show got picked up. I mean, again, it had the Aaron Sorkin pedigree. It had a huge cast. Of course, they were going to pick it up. But I think it really had a strong pilot and it really gave you an idea of like, how is this show going to be different? So number five pick for me is The Newsroom. It started in 2012 and it aired on HBO. I think that's a great pick because I have not seen The Newsroom. I have not seen the pilot. But funny enough, I have seen that scene. Yeah, I think like a lot of other people have probably as well, even if they haven't seen the entire show. Exactly. Uh, they've seen that one scene where, yeah, I know though I'm familiar with that, where he gives that answer and it was, it was quite good. I didn't realize that was from the pilot. Yep. Okay, my number five, going back to 1977, as I am wont to do, as you know, Derek, I'm going with Three's Company. Okay, 
So this one's interesting because it took three pilots to get this series greenlit. Okay, so the show itself is based on a British TV series called Man About the House. Same concept, guy moves in with two girls. So in the first incarnation of the pilot that they created, it featured a guy called David. He was an aspiring filmmaker and he moves in with two actresses in Hollywood. None of the original cast was in the pilot. Didn't go anywhere. So they created a second pilot, had a character named Jack Tripp. He was a chef and his roommates were Janet and Chrissy. And the setting was moved from Hollywood to Santa Monica. Only member of the, of the final cast to be involved was Joyce DeWitt, as Janet, obviously. And then finally, they did a third pilot. This is the one that we all know and that was aired on television, featuring John Ritter as the renamed Jack Tripper, who is a culinary student, and he moves in with Joyce DeWitt and Suzanne Somers. So the, the pilot, the third pilot they came up with, they titled it A Man About the House. A nod to the British version yeah, of the show. Nice. Obviously. And Janet and Chrissy start out by saying goodbye to their roommate, Eleanor. She got married, so she's moving out. So after Eleanor's wedding reception, the girls wake up in the morning and there's a guy, Jack, passed out in their bathtub. And then he makes them breakfast because he's like a culinary student. The breakfast was really good. They're like, oh my God, this food is so awesome, right? And then he mentions he's living at the local YMCA. So they decide, hey man, you got to move in, right? So, but the problem is, the landlord, Mr. Roper, he's very, con he's conservative, right? So he, he doesn't approve of men and women living together out of wedlock. So Jack has to pretend to be gay in order to be allowed to move in. Although he, I guess he did live at the YMCA, so he got to hang out with all the boys. Mm -hmm. So you know, that was a natural fit back in the 70s. Um, but how bad is it back in the 70s? The idea of a guy living with two girls is so offensive. You were better off pretending to be gay. Like, it's just so crazy when you think about yeah. it now. But anyway, so he moves in, and one of the best sitcoms of all time kicked off from that show. And it all started with this hungover guy in this bathtub and then pretending to be gay. Um, and the show underwent lots of changes over the years. I actually think it got better with Priscilla Barnes as Terry, but the pilot, one of my favorites of all time, number five. So, so that's my five. It's interesting you picked that because mm -hmm. I actually had that on my short list. I oh, watched really? so it, it so the on one of the channels, Three's Company airs every night two episodes back oh to back. God. Oh my god! And oh my god. I would say about three months ago, they aired the pilot, and I just happened to have the TV on one night, and I said, "Hey, look what's coming on next!" The very first episode of Three's Company. I had never seen it before, and I actually watched it for the very first time just a few months ago. And it really held up considering that it's from the 70s. Like it was really good. Mm -hmm. And you can definitely see so much of what made that show so popular right out of the gate. He does and, like a Pratt fall when he comes out of the kitchen too. So yeah, yeah a lot of the elements were there right from the beginning. Absolutely. So, yeah. Yes. And um, again, I, I've seen episodes of the show over the years. Uh, I enjoy it. It's not my favorite show, but I would certainly watch it if it's on. And I love the theme song as yeah. so many of the seventies TV shows have great oh, theme songs, the greatest theme songs. of all. Great. Season. So uh, yeah. So I yeah. almost had that on my list, but oh, I thought, good. you know what, I'm going to stick some, to some newer picks because I was like, you know, what i'm just gonna stay in my lane i'm gonna have chris stay in his lane I'll he's gonna pick all lane. the old ones i'm gonna pick all the new ones i'm sure this will work out great because we don't share our lists right no, so no um uh, we have a neutral third party review them to make sure there's no overlap and i was just like 
anything from Chris's list on mine? And my wife was like, as long as your movie, as long as your shows are all new shows, you'll be fine. (laughs) (laughs) Which is basically just every week. So, okay. So what do you got for number four TV pilot of all time? All right. Take it away. This is the only show on my list that is still on the air. It actually, the pilot and the show premiered last year or two years ago, 2021. It is also the only animated show on my list. Mm. I'm guessing it's probably the only animated show on either of our lists. And this is the animated series on Amazon called Invincible. Mm. So this is based on a comic book property. Uh, It's a comic book that was uh, conceived and written uh, by the same guy who uh, originally conceived of the Walking Dead comic book. So based on the success of that, they were like, what else has this guy done? And they're like, well, he's got this superhero story called Invincible. So this one's a little bit of a cheat based on what I said a minute ago. So because it's based on a comic book, they picked it up for 10 episodes and they sort of said, well, you're going to do this whole original story arc from the first dozen or so issues of the comic book, right? And they went, yeah, of course we are. So, you know, in that sense, it wasn't one episode uh, is going like the season wasn't picked up based on the strength of one episode. It was definitely signed on as a full season. The reason I think this is uh, I'm number one, it's a great show. But the reason I really enjoyed this pilot is so the, the the premise of this show is you live in a world with superheroes and as you are a teenager struggling through high school, trying to figure out what you want to do with your life, you find out your dad is Superman. And then how does your life change when you find out your dad is Superman? And hey, maybe I might get superpowers as well. After living a normal life, your whole life, you're suddenly 17, 18 years old and you're like, wow, my dad's Superman and I might be Superman someday as well. Like that just blows your mind. And you think, okay, that's an interesting take on the superhero story. We're going to get it from the point of view of the teenage son of Superman. Well, it's a huge spoil here. So if you haven't seen Invincible and you think you're going to watch it, you need to skip ahead about three or four minutes. So at the end of the first episode, you find out that, yes, his dad is Superman, but basically Superman assassinates the Justice League. You find out he is the world's biggest villain and he has a super evil agenda that nobody else is aware of in the first episode. So not only do you have the story of my dad is Superman, the greatest hero ever, and that could be me. We, the audience, learn that Superman in this particular continuity is the evilest of evil villains ever presented in a superhero story. And so now, you know, you're you're enthralled. You're like, where is this going to go? How is this going to play out? And it's it's amazing. It is awesome. It's been picked up for season two and season three. Season two is going to be airing. I think it drops in the next month or two. Um, It's on Amazon Prime. And the first episode is just wow. I've watched the first episode. I watched the whole run of the show once. I've watched that first episode three times. I watched the when it first came out. I watched it back to back. I watched it and I was like, this is amazing. I watched it again right away. I loved it. I thought it was great. So. My number four pick, Invincible from Amazon. We are definitely staying in our lanes tonight. You got the new Mm -hmm. stuff. I got the old stuff. I'm going back to 1978 for my number four. Okay. I'm going to go with different strokes. So, like I said, a lot of TV shows take a while to find their footing. This one was completely the opposite of that. It started with the strongest episode of its entire eight-year run with the pilot. And the show just slowly got worse and worse and worse as it went along. But man, did it start strong. So there was this like time back in the 70s where there was like a trend for TV shows to really try and reflect different social issues and depict America, uh, I guess, a little bit more realistically, true to real life. 
so this meant it shows like the Jeffersons and Good Times, they found a place, right? And, and shows like All in the Family tackled all these social issues. They didn't mind being controversial, all that stuff. But Different Strokes hit all the right notes. It was one of my favorite TV shows when I was a kid. And I, I will say this. I bought the DVD of season one last year. I took it to the trailer. And on weekends at night when I'm there with the kids, they love watching Different Strokes. So even nice. 45 years later, like it, it still has some appeal, I guess. But anyway, so the pilot, there's this rich guy, Philip Drummond, played by Conrad Bain. And, and he had already gained a little bit of fame before this because he was in Maud previously to this. So in this show, he had a housekeeper that died. And she was a single mom living in Harlem with her two sons. And when she died, she asked Mr. Drummond, make sure that her boys would be, you know, looked after. Right. So he moves them into his apartment on Park Avenue in the Upper East Side of Manhattan. And Gary Coleman was just, he was just this amazing talent. You know, he could hold his own with anyone he shared the screen time with. And he was this driving force on the show. But the thing was, the, the, the show wasn't just a vehicle for him to be cute, you know, and say funny things, you know, like, like what you're talking about, Willis, you know, all that sort of thing. The show tackled the issue of race in a way that I think made it relatable. You know, like the boys in the very first episode, they understood the implications of race. They came from Harlem. They didn't feel like they fit in, you know, and in the pilot, Willis just, he wants to go back to Harlem where he says that's where we belong. And I think the core message of the show right from the get-go was that this is like a family is what you make of it. You know, it's, it's important that you overcome obstacles, you know, as a family, both internally and externally, mostly in this show externally because of all this racism that they had to deal with that was always around them. So I would say if you get a chance, I would strongly recommend going back and watching the pilot of Different Strokes, one of the best episodes to come out of the late 70s for sure. So it's my number four. Nice. So. Yeah, I, I can remember watching different strokes as a young kid, like they used to air it in the in the day. And uh, yeah, I loved that as a little kid. I honestly haven't seen an episode of that probably since the 80s. So I'm glad to hear you talk so positively about it. It sounds like it really uh, it's really held up given what oh, it was at the time. So. And like I say, my kids still love it. So it's it's good. Nice. Especially that first season on the pilot. OK, so you're number three. What do you got? All right. My number three, uh, it just finished its third and final season and I'm going with uh, The Mandalorian from Disney oh. Plus. So this is a Star Wars television show. So uh, let, let's put this into a little bit of context. So the, the, the pilot aired in 2019 and then the show ran three seasons, which it just ended. But let's go back to 2019 for a minute. So you had Star Wars The Force Awakens, Star Wars The... What are the other ones? The Last Jedi and Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker. And they were met with you know, mixed reviews, depending on who you were and how old you were and what your, what your, um, affiliation with the star Wars universe might be. Uh, they made a ton of money as star Wars always does, mm -hmm. but there was a fair amount of criticism and they a suck. lot of the, they sucked. a That's lot of nice. hardcore fans just, you know, like you, they just dismissed yeah. them out of hand. They're like, yeah. I, I refuse to go. I refuse to give them my money. I, these weren't, these weren't the, the rewatchable classics that I expect from the star Wars universe. And we won't even get into all the reasoning behind it, but they were pretty bad. Who are we kidding? So Disney owned Star Wars by this point, and they were like, well, how can we continue to make money off of this franchise? So 
one of the most popular and uh, bankable characters in the Star Wars universe from day one, well, at least from Empire, has been Boba Fett. People just love the way he looks. They're like, we want to know more about his story. And so we were promised a, a Boba Fett movie that never came around. And then we were promised a Boba Fett TV series. But before they got around to doing that, John Favreau, who at this point had basically kicked off the Marvel Cinematic Universe with the first two Iron Man films, uh, you know, he had done Elf, the Christmas classic, like John Favreau was riding high. Like he he started doing some amazing things. Not necessarily everything was fantastic, but he hit a lot of the right notes at a lot of the right times, put him in a place where he could pretty much write his own ticket. So they gave him complete creative freedom. They go, what do you want to do? He goes, I'm going to create this uh, series with a Boba Fett-like character. Uh, he's going to be a bounty hunter like Boba Fett. And I'm just going to tell the stories in the Star Wars universe. It, it won't immediately be connected to anything we know other than it takes place in the Star Wars universe. It won't feature Jedis and magic and any of that. It's just going to be like a, you know, a, an action series set in, in a, a, a galaxy far, far away a long time ago. And the pilot very much is that it's this story of this bounty hunter and you get to see him flying in spaceships and having like shootouts and, and doing things you would expect a sort of not a hero, not a villain. Like the whole idea with the bounty hunter is you're in it for the money. I don't care what the politics are. I'm going to take the job because I need cash for whatever my reasons might be. And you see the, the main Mandalorian character in this pilot. He does what he needs to do. He collects his paycheck. He turns his money over to the armorer who makes him better armor. Like he's basically reinvesting in himself as he collects this cash. But at the end of the episode, he's given a job where he's supposed to, I can't remember if he's supposed to kidnap or assassinate uh, a child. And when he gets there, it turns out to be Grogu, who at the time we just called the baby Yoda. And he has a change of heart. He's like, he realizes I, I have to, I have to do the right thing here. I can't just complete the contract. I have to protect this child because, you know, I have, I have a moral compass despite what people might think. And that's basically the end of the first episode. You're like, now he's got this little baby in tow. And I think the first episode is even called The Child. And so you're like, okay, I thought I was getting this sort of dark, grim, rough, like here's this bounty hunter and you're watching it for you know, 30 to 40 minutes and you're like, this show's pretty cool. Like, where is this going? What's he gonna do next? He's so awesome. And now he's gotta basically be a father figure to this, this baby. He's gotta deliver it somewhere safe to make sure that it doesn't get killed. And you find that all these people wanna either kidnap the child or kill it. And that's where the rest of this first season goes. But just that sort of that, that little tweak at the end of, is he gonna do it? Is he not gonna do it? And he opts not to do it. He opts not to kill the child. He opts to rescue the child instead, goes against his own moral, uh, goes against his own code of I will complete the job at any cost and we're off and running and uh, it, it, you know the first season of Mandalorian was outstanding it got picked up right away the baby Yoda was this huge cultural phenomenon they sold toys and they've sold all sorts of stuff now and the show had two more seasons and it's become this whole thing and from the strength of this show, they ended up spinning it off into the book of Boba Fett. And even in the book of Boba Fett, they had a couple of Mandalorian, basically Mandalorian episodes where they didn't even feature Boba Fett. They featured the Mandalorian character from this show in that show because he was so popular. Like it started the whole thing. Yeah, that's the word I'm looking for. But it all started with this pilot for the Mandalorian. They gave Jon Favreau the keys to the kingdom. And once again, this guy delivered on something where people were like, I don't know if this is going to work. Now... After three seasons, is it still delivering? Is it still hitting on all cylinders? Uh, that's up for debate. But we're not worried about season three. 
All we're looking for is episode one, season one. This thing kicked ass. Mandalorian pilot episode is my number three. You know me, I don't like anything other than the original trilogy of Star Wars when it comes to that universe. But my son started watching this on Disney. So then I was I got interested and I, I watched a bit of it. Because the thing was like, like you kind of hit on something there with, you know, this whole idea of like getting away. Like some people love all like this mythology and the, the Jedi and all that. I always didn't like all that stuff. I like the fact that Star Wars to me felt like a dirty, grimy, lived in world. And it just had a good story. And that's what I liked about the original film. And I think that, um, oh, what was the name of the, 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 one, the one film that they did? Rogue One. Tried to kind of capture that. They did a little bit, but not quite. They still missed the mark. But I felt like when I watched the episode that I watched of of the Mandalorian, it kind of got, it was the closest to the original film that I've ever seen of any of the new stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Again, Favreau does a really good job in my opinion. Anyway, he does a really good job when he, when he, he picks up these projects, like who are we kidding? They're nerd projects. He does a good job of understanding what are the fans looking for? What's going to hit. And I, I think it, I mean, not that I know the guy personally at all, but I think it's because he's a big nerd himself. And, you know, it's like if if the nerd is the one running the show, then there's a better chance that they're going to deliver things that other nerds are going to want. So, no, was I've really that, enjoyed spending time with this show. Was that the episode where um, he was like on the side of the Jawa sand crawler and all that was going on? I feel like honestly, it it's it's been a while. Oh, I know that there yeah. was definitely some of that in the first couple episodes. I can't remember if that was episode one or not, but mm-hmm. yeah, uh, so yeah, no, it, it was very strong. I agree. That's, that's a good one. Okay, so my number three. <laughs> I'm going back in time, surprisingly. I'm going to come out of the 70s for a minute and go into 1982 with Cheers. So here's the thing. The whole function of a TV pilot, at least a good one, should be to establish the setting of the show and then introduce you to the characters. That's what I yeah. think. Absolutely. No and, argument for me. And the pilot episode of Cheers is a masterclass in how you do this. So it opens up with Diane Chambers, Shelley Long, of course. And she comes into this bar in Boston with her fiance and her teacher, Professor Sumner Sloan. And because uh, she was his student, right? She's going to marry this old guy. So they're on their way south to get married at some resort in, in the Bahamas or something like that. But the Sumner's like, oh, I got to go get the ring, Right. So he leaves her in the bar and he goes to get his, see his, his ex-wife to pick up this ring or something like that. And then he ends up leaving with the ex-wife and going with the ex-wife south. <laughs> and he leaves Diane at the bar by herself. But while Diane is sitting there, you know, before she learns that he's not coming back, we see the bar through her eyes, right? She's like the surrogate for the audience, right? And one by one, we meet people that work there and the regulars and it's basically this perfect way to introduce this old cast of characters and then and then once you know she realizes that this guy's not coming back she accepts a job you know at the, at the bar as a waitress and, and and basically a series is born right and the pilot is just so good but the thing is it just bombed when it came out the show finished dead last in the ratings its first year and it got canceled and the, the studio received so many letters from people that loved the show. Now, of course, this was before the internet and email and social media. Like you actually had to write a letter to the studio to complain, you know, to have your voice heard. So the, sh- the show was brought back and uh, it went on to win like a boatload of Emmy Awards and, and, and even for writing. 
you know, and, and, and I think the pilot showed how strong the writing was. And, and like I say, it, to me, it was, it's like the perfect way to set up a show. I just introduced these characters along the way. So that's my number three. So nice. Yeah, I, I never be never really a big fan of Cheers. It just oh, it's so I, again, I think it was because I was a little young when it came out. And then when I revisited it a little bit later, I was just like, yeah. There were some good episodes, but it just never really spoke to me for whatever reason. I think partly because, mm-hmm. honestly, I never really cared for Shelley Long's character of Diane Chambers. Right. And uh, I think that really just put me off the whole show. I like the rest of the cast, but. You anyway. like Shelley Long, though, because you liked her in um, in Night Shift, right? You yeah, well. Again, and in Caveman. I, she was good in I, that, too, I thought. I mean, she's not my favorite, but uh, I just found the Diane Chambers. I think that, you know, and, and this happens a lot with, with good performers is they play characters that you're not necessarily supposed to like. Mm-hmm. And. I think this is one of those characters where I don't know. I just didn't care for, and it was like I didn't care for the character, and that in my mind sort of was like, well, this is the performer, and I sort of merged the two for you know right or wrong. But anyway, okay, fine. Okay, your number two right. pilot of my all number time. Two. So I just sort of mentioned this one a few minutes ago, but I'm going to hit it because you can't talk about pilots and not, and that's The Walking Dead from AMC. Oh, okay. So in 2010, again, based on a comic book. So you got to think, let me, let me take you back in the way back machine. Well, a little ways back because way back for you is going to be the seventies. Exactly. In the mid two thousands, things that were very, very popular and making a lot of money were things like the twilight series, which featured vampires and they pumped out a move, three movies in the course of like three years. And these movies were ridiculously profitable. So you were getting vampire, this vampire, that, and vampires have always been a, a very common and popular sort of uh, storytelling device. But you haven't really had zombies since like the Romero style zombies where it's just like, you know, the brains, brains, where they're like just these these slow, you know, wandering creatures. Um, and then here we've got this comic book from uh, Image Comics, independent. Well, I guess they weren't independent at that point. Um, and it's this this more gritty, realistic take of sort of, well, what if what if there really was a zombie apocalypse? What would happen? And uh, this this sort of came on the heels of movies like 28 Days Later, where starring Kelly Murphy, where it's like he wakes up after being in a coma for a month. And where is everybody? Oh, there's been a there's been a plague. And now, like, people are infected. So it's the same idea where the first episode you're introduced to these two police officers and there's a shootout and the one police officer gets shot and he's in a coma and he wakes up in the hospital and months have passed and the hospital is abandoned. And he sees signs of violence and struggle and death. And he's like trying to figure out what's going on. Now, we as the audience, because the show is called Walking Dead, we know it's about zombies. But put yourself in the shoes of this character for a minute. He has no idea. And one of the things that I think The Walking Dead did really well, it was a choice, deliberate choice they made early on, probably in the comic and then again in the TV show, was they assumed that nobody had ever heard of the concept of what a zombie was. It wasn't a world where zombie movies had happened and then there's a zombie apocalypse. They, this was like a completely foreign concept that no one had ever considered. So that's why they, and they just call them walkers. That's why it's called the walking dead because they don't call them zombies because this isn't a term in their lexicon that had ever possibly been done before. So that gave the show, uh, well, the comic and the show a little bit of an, of an edge, a little bit of a twist that, that you wouldn't normally expect where when he finally, you know, Rick Grimes, the, the character in question here, the, the, the police chief, when he finally does stumble across some of these walkers, it's like he's completely horrified. Like he's confused. He has no idea what this is. He doesn't have any sort of context to put this in into. Like if this happened in our real world, 
we have shows like The Walking Dead. We have movies like, you know, Night of the, uh, uh, you know, Night of the Living Dead, where we've seen these things imagined through pop culture. The idea here in this show is that it never happened before. So this is completely foreign. Nobody knew what to expect. And, you know, where you have this interesting premise about the, you know, the, the zombie apocalypse has happened in the pilot, just like you said with Cheers, you were introduced to sort of the main characters. He ends up, you realize he's trying to find his family. He had a wife, he had a son. Like what happened to them? Are they still alive? Where might they be? And so in the first episode, he's trying to figure out where they've gone and he starts to find survivors. And of course he has a whole bunch of encounters with the zombies along the way. And so you get those actions and those sort of horror sequences, but you realize, yeah, it's a movie about, or it's a movie, it's a TV show about zombies, but we're really going to focus on the sort of the human relationships here. How would people survive? Well, those that are going to survive and thrive need to need to have the family bonds. They need to cling to what makes people good in the world. And, uh, you know, the show ran for 12 seasons. It ran 100 and uh, almost 200 episodes. Uh, it spawned a number of spinoffs. I mean, the thing became a phenomenon. It made AMC so much money. They had no choice but to do more shows and more spinoffs and the show about the show and uh, the show behind the scenes and all that stuff. But it all started from one pilot, the first episode in 2010 of The Walking Dead. And this is definitely the kind of thing where you watch it. And if you ever just produced this one show and then you went to your executives and said, what do you think? You want to see more? Of course they want to see more. <laughs> we need to know what happened to these people. Is he ever going to find his family? Why is there an infected? Why are these people like, you know, why are there zombies? Like it just raises a whole bunch of questions that as an audience, you absolutely want to know more about. You want to know, you know, is this guy going to continue to survive? Is he going to find his family? Is he going to hook up with other people? What's going on? So it's uh, it's it's just a great example of how to do a pilot, right? Walking Dead, my number two pick. And this might surprise you. I've actually seen that one. I've seen the uh, the pilot for that. It was really good. I remember, like, I think Glenn pulls him into the the tank, yeah. too, and that one, then they go to, like, the, the CDC and stuff. Like that. Uh, yeah, well, that one was really good. That was, it hooked me. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, then the show just got worse and worse and worse. It was yeah, it went a little repeating. downhill. Again, it was drawing from the yeah. comic book that it was inspired by, but along the way, they they sort of made other choices. You know, hey, this character's become very popular. Okay, and obviously for the TV show, they did introduce characters that were not in the comics. Like the character of Daryl is not in the comics, and he became one of the most popular characters oh, yeah. on the show. He was. He became the lead eventually when uh, when, um, when the main character left, who plays yeah. Rick when he left. They're he like, wasn't okay, in the comics, eh, Daryl? No, not oh, at God. all. Oh wow. So, Norman but again, Reedus, that's I think just sort of escalated that character. He was so popular yeah. with the fans. So yeah, it, again, it's this is a case where an actor is given a given yeah. uh, an opportunity and they they make the most of it. And uh, to your point, when a show does have the freedom to run many years. You start to realize, oh, fans like this character. Let's give this character a more important story arc. Sure. Or, oh, this performer's really getting it. Let's let's give them more to work with kind of thing. So, yeah, no, but Walking Dead, AMC, my number two pick. Okay, so we all know for my number two, one of my favorite TV shows of all time takes place in a little radio station in Ohio. And the pilot for WKRP in Cincinnati is one of the best ever in my mind. So it's my number two. So it opens up with Jennifer Marlowe, Lonnie Anderson, and she's watering flowers at the radio station and in walks this guy dressed like a cowboy. And it's Andy Travis from Santa Fe, New Mexico. And he's there to take over as the new program director. And you, you meet Herb Tarlick and Les Nesman, and both of them wanted his job, right? So they hate him right out of the gate. 
And then you meet uh, Johnny Caravella is the DJ there in the morning. And he's got, he's got a mug with all of his past names on it. It's got like Caravella and like Sunshine Duke style cool. I actually had a replica of that mug made for my buddy Brian Longmire. He does all the drops for us here on the podcast. He is the morning man on the Bruce radio station. And he, t- he still t- to this day takes it into work with him. So nice. uh, in the in the in the, the pilot of, of WKRP, Johnny Caravella got fired at a radio station in L.A. because he said booger on the air. <laughs> Imagine getting fired. Wow. Saying, different time. Booger. Exactly. It's not even a bad word. So he's like, you know, and that's how I ended up here at uh, WKRP in Pittsburgh, Cincinnati. Right. <laughs> he doesn't even know. Mm-hmm. Right. And so then Andy Travis decides he's going to change the format to rock and roll. And while Johnny Caravella is on the air, he announces, I'm changing this format. So Johnny scratches the record that's playing and he puts on Ted Nugent's Queen of the Forest. And he calls himself Dr. Johnny Fever. And he and he's like, oh, I almost forgot. Booger. <laughs> it's so great. And then Mama Carlson comes in to complain about the, she says, oh, the, the sounds that are coming out of my radio. And Mama Carlson in the pilot is played by Sylvia Sidney. But that part was actually recast with Carol Bruce for all the other episodes. But then at the end, to top sort of things off, Andy brings in his new late night DJ, Venus Flytrap, walks in. (laughs) And he's like all decked out in like this fur coat and hat. And just everything just gets set up for this series. It's one of my favorite TV shows of all time. And for me, the pilot is just amazing. So my number two. Nice. On to your number one, Derek. What do you got? So before we hit my number one, I just want to point out. So with mm-hmm. the shows that I've talked about so far, yes, the my number five through number two picks, they all aired on different networks and they all aired on premium cable. The newsroom was on HBO. Invincible was on Amazon Prime. The Mandalorians on Disney Plus and The Walking Dead's on AMC. None of those shows were on a traditional network television. All partly mine, be- all mine were. I was going to say, <laughs> partly because they're newer shows and partly yeah. because, honestly, who are we kidding? The better newer shows generally go to cable and streaming. But I'm going to go a little farther back. And the show that made my number one is from network television. Okay. It's from 2004. It aired on ABC. And I'm going with Lost. Oh, Yes. That's so this was this show was a phenomenon. So it was one of the most expensive pilots ever shot at the time. It uh, it, it had a ridiculous budget. Like again, I think it was. I, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I it do remember like that movie. was a movie. It, it was, was like literally a like a movie. Yeah. yeah. And so for those maybe younger listeners who haven't seen Lost or not as familiar with it, it starts with a uh, very vivid plane crash. And you have these people waking up on the beach as the survivors of this crash of uh, Oceanic Flight 815. And none of them know each other because, I mean, seriously, who knows anybody else on an airplane unless they're literally traveling with you? And so you have these strangers trying to figure out, like, they're trying to survive. They're trying to figure out, like, who lived and who died. And then this island seems to have, like, weirdness going on. They find uh, a, a polar bear running around on the side, like the island is clearly somewhere in the, the Pacific Ocean, like somewhere, near, like they shot it in Hawaii. So that's sort of the, the tropical, it's a tropical jungle thing. And so suddenly there's this polar bear at one point and there's like this sort of mysterious smoke that doesn't seem to obey the laws of physics. And there seems to be like these violent natives on the island that 
take great pains about staying hidden, but still interacting with the, the survivors. And then you start to get the backstories of some of these characters in flashback, where you're starting to get a little bit of who they are and what they were doing on the plane. And you realize that like these characters are pretty interesting. And in this first pilot, you start to get a sense of like, who are they? What are they? And, and what you realize is because everybody on this desert island is essentially anonymous, they can pretend to be anyone they want to be. And most of them pretend to be someone they're not for various reasons. But as the audience, you start to see through flashbacks who these people really were, why they are not admitting to who they they really are, why they're pretending to be maybe someone they're not, what circumstances led them to this, whether they feel being on the on this island and, and being presumed dead might actually be a good thing for them. And you start to get a sense of how some of these people may start to be friendly with each other and how some of these people may very quickly start to develop adversarial relationships based on their past, depending on what they're sort of sharing with other people. It's uh, this show ran, if I remember correctly, six seasons. It didn't really stick the landing, unfortunately, but up until I want to say the end of season five, this show was great. It was the number one show on TV for many years. It was must see. I believe it ran on Wednesday nights and I can remember people changing their plans. So they were home Wednesday night to watch Lost because you, you couldn't risk recording it and then having someone spoil what happened before you had a chance to watch it. The pilot just set everything in motion. It was unlike anything we had seen on network TV before. And uh, it just hit the ground running. This show uh, arguably the pilot is one of the best episodes. It sort of started at a 9.9 out of 10 and it sort of maintained that plateau for a number of seasons with a couple of, you know, little blips. The, the, um, the Paolo and uh, what's her name episode was gotta be the worst one. Paolo and Nikki. Nikki. That's yeah. the one. Yeah. We just pretend that episode didn't happen. Honestly, right. when I rewatch this series, I don't even watch that episode. Um, but the other characters were just like, they were so good. They were, it was so creative. And then you started to see how over the course of the season, how the story started to interact in weird and unexpected ways. And uh, yeah, no, this, this, this story was amazing. And the pilot was just, it's one of the best pilots. Like you watch this pilot, if you watch this pilot and you don't want to immediately watch the next episode after you finish watching the pilot, there's something wrong with you. Like this is that good that you are going to stay up late to watch a couple more episodes because you just can't stop watching this. Every episode is just better than the one that came before. And you're like, what's going to happen next? And a good pilot should do that. And this one does it. Number one pick lost from 2004 from ABC. If the pilot on lost was so good, why did he crash the plane? That's my dad. Boom, boom. That's my dad. There you go. And the other let's thing lose, that I really, let's lose that dad joke. Yeah. You, you, you had mentioned about the walking dead. Like it's, it's about hooking people. And I yeah. remember at the end of lost uh, the, the pilot, Charlie is like, guys, where are we? And you yeah. were just hooked. You're like, okay, yeah. What's going on in this weird place? So, oh, that's a good one. I like that one. All right. My number one might, might surprise you. Although I guess, Nothing probably surprises you about me anymore. But back in 1978, eight-year-old me was absolutely obsessed with Star Wars. So anything even remotely related to or similar to Star Wars, totally in my wheelhouse. And one of my favorite TV shows to watch when I was eight was Battlestar Galactica. You mentioned it earlier. I'm talking about the original, and I loved the pilot 
back then. So it was an hour long show it was on Sunday nights at eight o'clock, but the pilot was like two hours long. Well, it was like, like for a two hour TV time slot, right? Sure. So with commercials, probably like, I don't know, an hour and 40 minutes, something like that. But the thing was with this, after the pilot aired on television, they repackaged it and they released it in theaters theatrically. So actually, I went to see it in the movie theater. I remember my dad took me to go see it in the theater. He hated it. <laughs> and he liked, and my dad always liked like his old war movies and westerns and stuff. Sci-fi is not really his thing. So he hated it. And then, so I have the pilot episode on DVD and I showed it to my kids. They hate it too. <laughs> they think it's dumb <laughs> and cheesy. But, but for me, as a kid that was eight years old in 1978, when this came out, you I guess you kind of had to be there. I loved it. I I cannot think of any other example where a TV pilot was released in theaters as a motion picture. Can you? No, but let me ask you, did you no. see it on TV and then in the theater or was the theater your first exposure to this? I thing? feel like the theater was my first exposure to it. Like, do you think that influenced it? Like, do you think if you had not seen it in the theater and you had only seen it on TV, your love for it would have felt the same? No, I still would have loved it because I just, again, okay. like, I was obsessed with Star Wars. And at the time, like stuff was coming out left, right and center. Anything space related was coming out just to, to kind of catch on the whole Star Wars. Sure, on. sure. And, that makes sense. and I just loved it. I, I thought Battlestar Galactica was, there was a point where I actually liked Battlestar Galactica more than Star Wars. I just loved it so much because I could get it every night. Back then... There was no VCRs. There was no streaming services. There was nothing. If you, the only way that I could relive Star Wars by was by collecting the cards, you know, like the trading cards. That was it. That's how I relived it. Whereas Battlestar Galactica, every Sunday night I could watch it. So it it it, it was more of like it hooked me in, you know, in that way. But the the pilot, oh man, I just love it. And you know, I have gone back and watched it as an adult many times. And yeah, it's not, you know, great. I mean, I have not watched the reboot that you mentioned. but It was I mean, quite good. Yeah, I, I've heard good things about it. It was critically acclaimed. But I mean, the original one, I mean, you know, like, there's a lot to, I guess, not like about it. But there's also a lot to like about it, I think. It's just, it is of its time and that. But for me, you know, and that's what this, this list was all about. It wasn't just like the greatest pilots of all time as a TV critic. It was like, what was my favorite TV pilot of all time? And my favorite TV pilot was Battlestar Galactica from 1978. Right. So that's my number one. That's fair. That's yeah. fair. I honestly, I thought it, I thought you were going to go to your your usual uh, either Happy Days or the Love Boat. But since you already sort of talked about why Happy mm -hmm. Days maybe wasn't, I was like, oh, well, he's definitely going to go to the Love Boat. Yeah. So I'm I'm glad that you you sort of zagged yeah. a little. Is is a baby zag? Yeah. Yeah. Nothing too major. So anyway, on that note, what do you say we have some? Fun with Caveman. So, Derek, as you know, TV episodes not only have numbers, like, you know, like season three, episode six, for example, they also have titles. So I'm going to make things easy for you this week, Derek. I'm going to give you the title of a TV series pilot episode and the title of its final episode. So I'm going to bookend things for you. Okay, okay. You have to name the TV series. Okay, I was going to say, the first one might be tough, but if you're going to give me both, I'm hoping yeah. that's enough of a and clue. And some, okay. like, some of them, like, some of them, the pilot gives it away, and some of them, the finale gives yeah, it away. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. Okay. But sometimes it's a combination of the two. You can kind of guess what the series is. So you're going to get the title of the first and the last episodes of the series, okay. and you name the series. All right? Mm -hmm. So here's the first one. You ready? Go for it. Okay. 
the one where Monica gets a roommate, and I'm also going to give you the year, 1994, and the last one, 2004. That'd be Friends. I figured I'll also give you the years just to be safe because some yeah. of those are hard. No, I, I like that in Friends, like all their episodes were the one. The one, yeah. Blah, blah, the blah, blah, one blah, blah. where. I mean, the fact that they had Monica's name and that was a little bit of giveaway as yeah. well, but. Yeah. yeah. But I got to start with an easy one. Okay, so here's yeah. one. From 1966, The Cage. 1968, Turnabout Intruder. Yeah, that's Star Trek. No, no way you weren't going to get that one. No, I knew that on The Cage right away. Yeah. All right. Uh, from 1990, Class of Beverly Hills, 2000, Ode to Joy. Uh, it's probably Beverly Hills 90210. Yes, it was. Okay, 1989, Good News, Bad News. 1998, the finale. Good News, Bad News. So what was the year of the first one again? 1989, Good News, Bad News. 1998, the finale. Huh. So we're in 10 years. Uh, I want to say Frasier. It was Seinfeld. 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 Okay. Okay. All right. 1989, the mama who came to dinner. 1998, lost in space, part one and part two. Wow. Mm -hmm. Huh. Um, I have no idea. It was Family Matters. Oh, okay. Family Matters. Okay, no, 1989, sure Dancing to the Max. 1992, Graduation. So we ran from 89 to 92. Yeah, Dancing to the Max. And then graduation was 1992. I'll give you a hint too. It was followed up by a made-for-TV movie and a short-lived spin-off. Oh, was series. it? Um, uh, yeah, this is that show you like that never watched. Saved by the Bell. Yes. Very good. Yes, I really like Saved by the Bell. The college years. That's a little like a, sure. Oh, I love that one. Okay. 1970. Love is all around. 1977. The last show. The Love Boat. No, love is all around the Mary Tyler Moore show. The Mary Tyler Moore show. Okay, so 1983, you should be able to get this one, I think. Yeah. 1983, Mexican Sleigh Ride. 1987, the finale was Without Reservations. Name the show. I don't know, Miami Vice. No, it was the A Team. The oh, A Team. Geez. All right, the first episode was in 1977, and it was called The Newlyweds slash The Exchange slash Cleo's First Voyage. And in 1986, the finale was called Happily Ever After slash Have I Got a Job for You slash Mr. Smith Goes to Mini Lulu. Holy crap. I have no idea. Well, think about this for a second. It's multiple things happening in one episode. I, yeah. I, the none of them sound weds, familiar. The exchange Cleo's first voyage in 1977. Okay. And the finale in 1986 was happily ever after. Have I got a job for you? And Mr. Smith goes to mini Lulu. I don't know what mini Lulu is, but I don't know. Is that the, 
It's the love boat. Love boat. Yeah. The love boat. Cleo when you emphasize voyage, voyage, I'm like, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what it is. Okay. This one I think is, this one's tough. This would be tough for me. I think you got this one. They've all been tough. Come on. Who are we kidding no, here? I know. This is not easy, but I think, yeah, I think you can get this one. 1989, right. Genesis Part One, September 13, 1956. And the finale of this series oh, I know was this. in 1993. Yeah. It was called Mirror Image, August yeah. 8, 1953. Yeah. This was Quantum Leap. Yeah. Okay, for the last one, I purposely avoided pilot episodes that were simply titled Pilot. And, okay. And I got to tell you, there was a lot. There was a lot. Yeah. Writers are lazy. Come oh, on. As a writer, man. writers are lazy. So many TV shows pilots are called Pilot. But this last one, I'm going to do anyway, just because the final episode should give it away. 1972, Pilot. Oh, I know it. 1983, Goodbye, farewell, and amen. Oh, that's got to be MASH. So you saved yourself the last two. You did really, really well. So, see, some of them are hard. Some they were all hard. Who are you kidding? Uh, the cage a little bit challenging. That's the only one this guy knew. Like, come on. I that's felt really like the last couple of weeks, you were just knocking all the trivia out of the park. You yeah, that's fair. That's so fair. I thought, I yeah. want to just challenge you a little bit on this one. But I still, I thought that they were, there were still a lot of clues in there for the first sure. and last episode. So you should be able to get most of them. But anyway, it's all good. So next time, Derek, taking a look at a movie that's celebrating, it, you know, a, a milestone. Sounds so good, why yeah. don't I put things over to you? Do you, do you have a, uh, a movie that's celebrating a milestone that you'd like us to go back and look from a certain year? What, yeah. what do you think? Yeah. So we've, we've been sort of hitting major milestones, right? And it's basically multiples of five is usually your milestone. You're 20, you're 25, you're 30, you're 35, you're 40. Yeah. We don't usually say like, like 31 years. No, like that's 30, like, 35. That's you hit a milestone. Yeah. Yeah. So that's fine. We did a few weeks ago, we did uh, 1993, which was 30 years, yeah. which is a pretty recognizable milestone mm-hmm. in its own right. But I want to look at 1998, which is a 25th. 25 is a pretty substantial milestone. When people celebrate a 25th wedding anniversary, like that's a big deal. Quarter century, right? Yeah, but the 25 usually is your bigger, like your 25 and your 50 tend to be like, those are the wow ones. The the, the fives in between are nice, but 25 is a big deal. So I wanted to go back to 1998 and pick something that's celebrating a 25th anniversary, a huge milestone. Okay. Now, you and I had a little bit of a chance to talk off air, and I threw a few ideas at you, and you're like, I've seen that one, I've seen that one, I've seen that one. And I wanted to try and find something you had not seen before. So I went I went down to my my list of sort of my, my greatest hits, and I found one that you said you had not seen before. So we are going to go and watch The Big Lebowski, written and directed by the Coen brothers. It stars Jeff Bridges, John Goodman, Julianne Moore, Steve Buscemi, Philip Seymour Hoffman, this movie has a huge cult following. It was not a phenomenal box office success immediately, but it found an audience on home video, on DVD, on streaming. It's available on Amazon Prime, so you should have no problem finding it. This was a movie that I was actually not all that up on when it first came out. I remember the first time I saw it, I just sort of went, ah, maybe I just don't get it. It's a little weird. But the more I watched it a couple of times, the more I just started to pick up on little details, the more I started to enjoy it, the more I started to get into the nuances of it, and the more I started to appreciate the performances from some of these phenomenal actors. So hopefully you'll have an interesting time watching it for the first time, 
and we can come back next week and we'll talk about the big Lebowski and uh, we'll go from there. Yeah. It's definitely a cult film. Like I've, oh, I've no heard question. of it, you know, and like all that, but I've never seen it. like you mentioned, so it'll be interesting to see if I'm going to enjoy this. Or not. I'm, I'm curious. Cause now you, you're piquing my interest. Cause you're saying the first time you watched it, you didn't like it all that much. It took yeah. repeated viewing. So this would be interesting for me if I, uh, if I like this or not. So yeah. So we're going to come back next time. We're going to take a look at the big Lebowski celebrating 25 years since its release in theaters back in 1998. But until then, this is Chris McBride on behalf of myself and Derek Myers saying thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. Thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World. You can contact Chris and Derek at popgoesyourworld.com. Please take a minute and review the podcast on iTunes or wherever you download and listen to the show.